Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I'm your host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm joined with my co-host, Jen Ellen Knuth. And today, we've got Julia Carter, who is an AE Marpite. And part of the reason I'm excited for this episode is there is so much advice out there that is framed as if you have to do the perfect, 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 perfect thing. And oftentimes, perfection is the enemy of good. And Julia is a good, good, might I even say, great AE. Jen, why should people listen? There is so much talk about the need to personalize emails, but not every AE can afford to take 30 minutes and personalize every single one. What I love about what we learned from Julia is she talks about how to nail triggers and relevance to make your email stand out. A three, a two, a one. This episode might trigger you if you're obsessed with Uber personalizing. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. All right, Julia, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. So my first one is that when you're building a prospecting list, do not mass export it. Build your entire list based off of a trigger. So for my company, we are like an ad tech tool. So what I do is I look at, all right, is this company running ads? 
check. Are they running the type of ads I want? And then from there, I find the people. So I know that everyone on my list is a perfect fit for me versus just exporting people like, oh, they are in my territory with my title at my company size. In this way, your list is clean and you've got a good group of people to reach out to. Beautiful. What's number two? My second one is make your email subject lines heinously boring. The most dull subject line you could ever think of because these salesy ones where it's like, if this podcast was reaching out to me, it'd be like 30 minutes to President's Club, ex Julia, intro chat. I'm deleting that. So make it something really boring, like podcast episode, intro episode, interview talk, anything like that. And I find that it's a little less deceiving. It gets clicked on more. Well, I'm glad you didn't delete my email, Julia. <laughs> Round us out. What's number three? The third one is if you are an AE, just close loss all of your ops and beginning stages that don't have a next step on the calendar because respectfully, like it's just going nowhere probably and you're wasting your time. So to book a next step, this gets things moving along much faster. Like do not listen to the advice out there where people are like, hey, do I have permission to suggest a next step? No, you don't have permission. Just literally ask them, when's a good time to reconnect? Nine times out of 10, they'll give you a vague time frame. Just throw out a time like, yo, does Tuesday 1 p.m. work? They're probably going to say yes. If they say yes, cool. If they say no, then like, bye. Not interested. Thank you. Well, I've been hearing not interested a lot when I send out <laughs> prospecting emails. And we were talking on the pre-show, and you've got a pretty spicy take on personalization versus relevance in cold emails. And I'm hoping you can share that with us. Yes. So I don't personalize anything, like nothing, because no one cares. If I'm writing a cold email for business purposes, it better be about their business. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people out there are like, be relevant, but they don't really explain how. And I think of relevance more as like why I'm reaching out to that specific person. Mm -hmm. So I think that that has a much more impactful message versus being like, hey, I saw you went to school here. Like, cool. We both live in New York. Sure. No, I don't get what you're saying to me. For the folks in the audience who are like personalization, relevance, aren't they the same thing? Can you talk to me about what the difference between those things are? All right. So I define personalization as you are personalizing the message to that person more so I find in B2B cold outreach, people use this as things on someone's LinkedIn profile, like their title where they're from, something in their bio. And all of that is cool, but none of that has anything to do with why you're reaching out to them. Sure, they have a title at a business that you could help. But beyond that, it's all useless fluff information. And the person who receives a message like that is gonna be like, yeah, I know I'm the director of marketing. I know I live in New York. Like you're not bringing anything new to the table. So instead going with relevance, which is more of a why you're reaching out, the person will get the message and be like, oh, like they know that I deal with making these documents all day. They can help me fix that or whatever it might be. So it's really the why versus the what. So I think there's different levels of relevance. There's the level of relevance and it's kind of along what you just described of like, I'm reaching out to you because you're a VP of marketing. And I see a lot of that. How do you get layers deeper in terms of relevance? And can you share maybe one example from your world? For sure. And I think a lot of people get lost because it is really hard to think about it. But if you think about your product and what you solve for, there's always something a little bit deeper besides, oh, I'm automating tasks. I'm making you 
ROI, like whatever the hell that means. There's something else going on there that the person who's using your tool wants to use you for. So for me, like how I go about finding deeper relevance is really thinking like specifically what my tool does. So I like to find little triggers of, oh, if this person does X, then like Y would be relevant. So for me in my day to day, we sell an advertising software. But instead of me going after advertisers, I go after advertisers who are running Facebook ads and not only Facebook ads, but a specific type of Facebook ad that is undesigned because we design them. So the natural progression is like, I'm going to look at these ads that's relevant to them, going to reach out. So I think what you're describing there, I used to absolutely fall in the trap. So when I used to sell sales training, I'm like, okay, let me just reach out to sales leaders with big sales teams because those would be the biggest deals. And what I failed to appreciate is not every sales leader needs to prioritize sales training right now and rather look to the business and say, are there any indicators or like you're talking about triggers that might suggest that they're having a hard time with sales. So they've done a recent layoff or they're seeing lots of turnover throughout different levels of the sales organization. It's still a hypothesis. It's not a fact. And I like the way that you framed it. It's our best guess. We're using the information that we have available to make a hypothesized guess. How do you land that tone? Because I think one of the other big missteps I see is there's a really assumptive tone that a lot of sellers make that can kind of get us into trouble. So talk to us a little bit about you see something that's a trigger. How do you phrase it in your email itself? Totally. And I agree. It really is a best guess. There's probably never going to be a one-to-one. Oh, this person needs this. They said they need this unless you come across like a unicorn like example, (laughs) which would be amazing, but probably unrealistic. So I think framing, starting with the best guess or the trigger, I take a more of an assumptive take. I'm just like, hey, I saw your white background ads. Like, have you ever tried designing them before? I just lead with exactly what I found just to start off so they know immediately upon the preview of the email, like why this email is going to them and what the email is going to be about. So I like to start off with it. I know some people don't think it's correct to be assumptive because it's like, well, I don't know if they're doing that. But in my point of view, when you're reaching out to people, you should know why you're reaching out. And if you don't know why, you should act like you know why, because the person will probably correct you or they just won't respond. So you may as well just lead with confidence. I think one thing you are doing is you are still using an unsure tone in your question. You're assumptive in your hypothesis, but you don't immediately say like, oh, it must be because you've never been able to figure out how to design a white space or a non-white space ad. Clearly, I don't sell what you sell. (laughs) But I think you're still framing that question to invite disagreement. And I think the way that you phrase that is really, really cool to me because again, it's not overly assumptive. Like you're clearly struggling and you don't know how to do anything, which I think is off-putting. You're using the question to kind of invite that back. Totally. And I do use a lot of questions, I find, because I just feel like it is a little bit like, have you ever tried doing this? You might want to try doing that, (laughs) which just leads to be a little softer in the tone. But yeah, I definitely like to ask questions. I know some people are like, if you add too many questions, no one's going to respond. But like, whatever, people are responding to me. So we'll take it. I love it. So to recap what you're doing here, there's sort of different layers to the triggers that you're looking for. If you look at the highest layer, you could just reach out to people that aren't advertising. The next layer down, though, is advertisers who are running ads on Facebook specifically. And then the layer beneath that, which is how specific you're getting, is you are looking for advertisers running ads on Facebook where the ads have white backgrounds. Yes. What I'm wondering is 
how the hell are you finding that other than just scrolling Facebook all day, which is something that I think my mom might do, or maybe Armand, but my guess is you're not doing it that inefficiently. How are you even finding this? Honestly, it is kind of inefficient. So ads are public on most platforms. So there is something called Facebook Ad Library. And that's what I use as my like trigger resource where I look up manually each company. Some companies you can assume like Nordstrom, you can assume they're doing it. But God knows what athletic company, like I don't know what they're running. So I do have to manually check. And then once I verify that they have something I can solve for, then I'll find the people. It honestly is like not the most efficient, but I'm on the boat where I'd rather have a list of A plus prospects because that means every meeting will probably be an A plus meeting versus just keeping it too broad and kind of guessing because then people will be like, why are you emailing me? And then they'll block me and cancel me. And I just don't want that. So that's one trigger you're looking for. Are there any others that you use or is that the sole one that you rely on, Julia? We're more of a point solution. So honestly, I just go off that main one. But I think for more all-in-one type people, if you do multiple things, there's different ways to find little hints as to how you could help them. So I think there's definitely lots of available databases out there that can help you guess that someone would be a good fit, but that's it for me. Awesome. Even at 30 Minutes to Presidents Club, when I'm reaching out to our sponsors, I'm looking for folks who have had a messaging change recently, or they have a big product announcement, or they just started their own podcast or their own webinar series. And that usually informs my perspective on why I reach out to them. And you're right. That's so much better than saying, Jen, I saw that you went to Penn State. I saw (laughs) that you listed all this, by the way, and having that like very, very awkward, frictiony transition. So I want to ask you about how these triggers inform your overall outreach strategy. You talked about stuff on the pre-call about stuff like using images. And I want to ask about that. I want to ask about the preview text of your messages. I want to like figure out what you are doing because I know you're booking a lot of meetings via email. And I'd love to hear about your strategy. For sure. So now that we have an A plus star list that I know why I'm reaching out, obviously, the next step is to contact them. And I kind of have a couple ways of going about it. So I probably am like the anti poster child for best practices. I'm guilty of being a mass blaster. And I'm guilty of just not really changing a lot of my messaging. For context, I'm the only seller on my team right now. So I just don't have time in my day all the time to do these tasks. But so one of the ways that I can like effectively communicate what I'm saying is I use a lot of images, which all the like deliverability gurus are probably like, oh, my God, don't use images. You're going to get blocked. Well, whatever. The images get me replies. So I will take a couple blocks for a hit. So I'll include images of the brand's ads or just highlighting in general the before and after of what my tool can do for these people. So they take one glance at my email and they're like, I understand the idea. When it's not personalized, it's just like a generic before and after. But when it's personalized, I can do it with their own ads and stuff. But that's definitely how I'm using images today. So you know me, right? Like I'm big on relevance, but I think oftentimes people assume that means you need to write a unique email to every single person that you're writing. I think one of the things I love about what you're sharing is if you really nail relevance, you don't have to create a unique story for every single customer. So talk to us about when you're sending out these emails. You mentioned, I think you sell to retailers. 
are you sending these out to lots of different people inside of the business? Is it just there's one person and it's always the same person? How do you think about, if you want to call it multi-threading? Definitely. So I really try not to hit up that many people. I try to keep it really, really tight in terms of who I'm reaching out to. I like to bucket my titles. I have two title Booleans and a Boolean. If you don't know it, it's like quotations with titles in it. And you can like mass search lots of different titles on LinkedIn. So I'll have a broad Boolean, which is marketing people like broad. And then I have a really specific Boolean, like paid social marketer, someone who's a branch off. And for small companies, I go for more broad titles because they probably only have two people I can reach out to. But at big companies, I go really specific. And something else I do when I'm reaching out to people is I don't really hit up the execs. A lot of people are like, get into the power. Like the power doesn't know how to run a Facebook campaign. Okay. Mm. He doesn't know what it is. So I'm going after the people who know what I'm talking about because I've just found that I generate a lot more replies that way. Not to say I don't shoot my shot with the CMO, but I feel like this whole get into the power isn't always the most effective way to go about things. If you compare the altitude of the person that you need one over to win a deal against the altitude of the person that you're reaching out to. I'm curious about that. Like, do you still need the sign off from the CMO, but you're still going to this person? Or I'm curious about that strata difference. I've rarely involved the CMO in a lot of deals. Sometimes they're the signer, sometimes they're not. I just find that if the champion and the team is bought in, they're going to tell their CMO, like, we need to do this. And we've closed a ton of great enterprise logos without any sort of involvement from like really high up people. So I don't think you necessarily need it. Sometimes I think the internal people will do the work for you. So yeah, that's my take on it, which I guess is kind of hot. What I like about it, Julia, is if your average deal size was $800 million a year and it was a cross-functional software that was going to revolutionize the business's operations, like if you're selling Salesforce, for example, yeah, you probably want to get with the exec. But it sounds like the level of altitude that you need to get a deal done isn't necessarily going to the CMO or the SVP of marketing. And you actually might slow things down overshooting where you land at. So you talked about your approach where if you don't get a next step, you're like, no deal done. What do you do if you don't get a response to your first email? What does your follow-up strategy look like if you have one at all? So in my follow-up emails, I'm not using thoughts. A lot of people say like, I'm going to send this bump email and it's like thoughts. Thoughts on what? What am I to have a thought on? Because you don't have any words in your email, it just says thoughts. I mean, clearly the email wasn't good enough to get a response. So you need to just humble yourself and provide more examples as to like why they might want to talk to you. Even if I'm just booking a time with an inbound person of reminding them why they want to speak to me and what value I can bring. So in all of my follow-ups, I usually just thread them together because it can kind of reference the other one. I'll just hound them with more examples or like a client story or like more ways I think we can help them just to continue the item. So usually in my second email, I'm just like, hey, like only asking because here's what other brands in your category are doing. And then that's it. I just show them examples of what other brands in the category are doing. And usually they get jealous. They're like, oh my God, what? <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> so then let's stay on this idea of like an inbound lead. How many times will you do that before you cut bait and say, forget them? 
Honestly, it depends. We don't have a marketing team. So, you know, the inbounds, we don't really know who's coming in a lot of the time. If it's really good, obviously I'll keep hounding it. But if it's kind of like God knows what this company is, they're not really running ads. Honestly, if they're not running ads, I'll tell them in the email. I'm like, yo, do you know what we do? <laughs> because I don't think this is going to work out here. But I'll usually send like two or three emails because, you know, sometimes things get lost. You just got to bump stuff up. I'm guilty of not responding to stuff I should sometimes. So, And then for an outbound, same question. Let's say you've got a trigger. You see they fit that trigger. At what point do you stop contacting them or do you stop contacting them? How do you think about engaging those people without being, I guess, too much outreach? So my cadences are kind of long. I would say I hit them with six emails over a month which a lot of people are like, that's too many. But this is more on the automated side of things where I'm just letting that rip. And then we put them in stuff multiple times a year. I'm like, yo, I prospected you reduce, reuse, recycle, we're going to find you again. I've been going after some of the same people for like three years now at my old job and at this job. <laughs> so it's a lot of reusing, but I'm trying to cut it down now to fewer emails because sometimes I do take a more manual approach if I'm like, yo, I really need this person. What informs that decision? What makes you say, okay, I'm going to put this prospect in a more manual cadence versus I'm going to let those outbound emails, automated emails rip? Honestly, it just depends on how much time I have. The automated emails tend to hit decently well. Obviously, if I include a photo of their own ads, it tends to work better than a photo of just a generic ad. But if I am in meetings all day, I don't have time to just rip out all these emails. And also finding my prospects is so manual. So scraping up a list of 50 people takes so long. And then emailing them takes so long. So it's really just depends on how much time I have. Like Thanksgiving or November was a total wash. It was so slow. So I was just ripping, typing them out all day long. Just peep pop, send, and then, you know, see what happens. <laughs> Is there any point in your manual process where you find yourself using personalization? A little bit. Sometimes, yeah. But it's more about the brand and the ads they're running and like, oh, you have a sale coming up? You should probably put some stuff on your ads if you have a sale. <laughs> it's more geared around that. It's more tailored to the brand. But yeah, I don't really include much about unless we have some crazy connection where I'm like, holy crap, you went to my high school. Which mm -hmm. doesn't happen a lot, but has happened before. Oh my gosh. Actually, I want to ask you about this because a lot of your prospects are marketers at these retailers. And I know there is so much seasonality with some of these businesses and the way that they're like totally slammed around the holidays and maybe a little bit less busy during the summer. And I'm wondering if the seasonality of your prospects business informs your outreach at all. Yes. Oh my God. My year was done in October. That was the end of 2023 for me. It totally informs it because Black Friday, good night. I'm not getting a reply in November. Black Friday is like the event of the year. When I was an SDR for context, I was smashing it. I was 300%, 400%, 200%, November, 46%. <laughs> and that's not because like anything's speaking to me. It's just seasonality is so real. But you kind of have to know, obviously, everything is seasonal and there's never a good time to reach out because it's like, oh, back to school, summer. 
there's always stuff going on. But I definitely use those lulls to catch up on more, I would say almost housekeeping activities, like let's brainstorm like a new cadence to try and get people to meet with me next year. So I'll use the lulls to my advantage for other things that aren't necessarily booking meetings. But seasonality is so real. My year has been done for a long time. So knowing your approach to qualification on opportunities, what do you do when you reach out to Jen and it's December 6th and Jen is like, yeah, I'd be open to talking with you, Julia, but this is a really busy time of year. How's March? If there's a reason they want to meet in March, they probably want to meet in March. A lot of people are like, we need to speak with you now. I'll always kind of just throw it out like, oh, you know, just so you kind of know the deal when March comes, it might be worth connecting like quickly. But also, if they're asking for March, it's probably because this makes sense to do in March. And we're not going to start till March anyways. So I don't really have a problem putting time on for later. Obviously, it sucks. But then it's such a nice present when it's March. And you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) I have this meeting on my calendar and I forgot about it. So I think it's fine if they say that. What are you doing in between now and March to try to avoid that meeting falling off? Because I think one of the things you shared with me is that you've got a really good show up rate. So I imagine there's some interesting things you're doing there. Yeah, I've had two or three no-shows this whole year. So we're banging them out. They all love me. (laughs) But yeah, so I'll do this quote-unquote like thinking of you. It's like really stupid. And I'll be like, oh my God, here are some of the examples of these creatives that these other brands ran for Black Friday. Like maybe this will be inspiration for you for you planning your Christmas campaigns. Or I'll be like, oh, I remember you said that you really want to run this March Madness sale. Like, here's some cool like results from a similar thing. And I'll just do it every once in a while. And I'll set little calendar reminders for myself. Like, yo, email Becky about this. And then I'll email Becky. I just booked a meeting today with a girl doing exactly that. (laughs) We spoke a while ago and she's like, I'm kind of want to do this for Q1. So I emailed her today. I'm like, oh my God, thinking of you, here's this cool template. So I definitely like to do that. That is so awesome. And that is the right way to add value because you're not just blasting them with some generic case study or something. It's really, really smart because what you're actually doing is you're like almost selling pre-meeting, but also they're going to show up now to that meeting being like, I saw that Nordstrom thing. We need to have stuff that looks like that. And now you can start asking about that. And so many salespeople stop once they have the meeting booked. And the thinking of you message that you send is so awesome because they're like, oh, one, Julia's legit. She's a real human being. Two, okay, I really shouldn't no-show her or move this meeting because she clearly did some level of effort. Folks, reciprocate the effort that you show. But then three, that meeting is so much better because you actually sold a little bit pre-meeting. Totally. And this goes to, I think, when sometimes brands are like the timing's off. Let's connect XYZ time down the line. Just keep little nuggets. You're like, oh, my God, this other brand did exactly what you said you wanted to do. And look how awesome it was. And it's just keeping the flame alive. So when you rehash it out with them, it's not totally cold. It's just lukewarm. You can't do a podcast episode on cold emails without a strong opinion on subject lines. So one of your actionable takeaways was make it boring. Tell us why you make it boring and share some examples of what people typically do and how you would rewrite it. Yes. So there's this whole debate on subject lines. I would categorize them into like three categories. There's like the sketchy subject line where it's like, 
insert payment or like payment reminder. And people are like, holy crap, payment reminder, click. And then it's a sales email and you're like, oh, okay. So I don't really like the sketchy ones. That's just shady. And it puts a bad taste in people's mouth. Then there's the salesy ones, which maybe worked like five, 10 years ago, where people are like, Julia X Gen, catch up, my company X, your company. And those are just not it anymore. People know it's a sales email. And who wants to click on a sales email? So I avoid those, but I like to do the kind of boring subject line because first of all, it's camouflage to look internal because it's like SDR team quota or like dynamic ads. It's boring, but it also has to do with your message. So it's not deceiving. It has to do with the subject and it's just not sketchy. It is what it is. And it's not screaming sales. Well, Julia, this has been a phenomenal episode on some cold emailing and we're running out of time and we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question for you is what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Do not mass export prospect lists. Don't do it because at the end of the day, sales is very simple. You find people and you contact people and you talk to people. And if the people that you're finding are trash, everything else is trash. You've screwed with the entire process. So really be picky about who you're reaching out to and know why. And it's better to have a small all-star list of people who are going to be your all-star people than to have this big list of trash that you now have to like follow up with. And that's going to get you nowhere. So don't do that. It's easier to mass export, but it hurts you in the long run. So stop it right now and delete all of your lists and cancel them. <laughs> Boom. Beautiful. Julia, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four actionable takeaways from this episode with Julia Carter. Number one, don't shy away from including 
images in your prospecting emails, particularly if you sell a visual solution that Julia uses before and after images in her prospecting emails, they can teach the buyer way more than a thousand word email might. Number two is if you have a meeting booked with a prospect and you've got some time to juice that meeting a little bit, Add some value with a thinking of you email that shows some examples of what some of their peers are doing with you or what other similar customers are doing. It's a great way to start selling before you even have that first meeting. Number three, when you open your email using a trigger-based approach, state your observation confidently and then follow it up with an unsure tone question. So Julia gave the example of, here's what I've seen your ads look like. Have you ever tried to do X? Number four, when it comes to subject lines, there's three camps. One, intentionally misleading. So things like late payment fees that try to trick you into an open. Two, there's the overly marketing-y subject lines that are like, Jen, 10 times your ROI. Julia's preferred approach is number three, which is intentionally boring. Subject lines like podcast episode that are camouflaged to look like they might be something that was sent internally. Nick, tell us, how can people help us out here at 30 Minutes to Presidents Club? Well, if you're sitting here thinking, oh gosh, I am overwhelmed by all this email stuff, don't worry, 30MPC is here to help. If you go to 30MPC.com, we've got a little thing called the Toolkit, where we put together a ton of email templates, call scripts, best practices for negotiation, and they're all free. You can go steal them, and they might help you make some more money. And if you make some more money, I would not be horribly opposed to you shipping me a Chipotle gift card so I could get some guacamole. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the show. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.